What role does culture play in religion? And how do we understand some of the divisions that happen within the church, including the United Methodist Church in recent decisions? Robert Hunt will be our guest and he'll be talking about just those things. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program today, Robert Hunt. Dr. Hunt, we're glad to have you with Thank us. Thank you very much, George. Uh, he is the director of the uh, Global of Global Theological Evangelism. Education. Education, right. and the director of um, Oh, Center for Evangelism. The Center for Evangelism at Perkins School of Theology right. here at SMU. Yeah. And, uh, and a great um, friend in the community also to people of all faiths uh, as you uh, interact with people uh, here in town and, and we end up together in these multi-faith and interfaith kind of conversations right. and it's <laughs> a beautiful thing to uh, hear the things you have to offer and so thank you for thanks. all you do. Yeah, thanks. Great. So, uh, among the things I really want for us to, to talk about are uh, your reflections following uh, the uh, Methodist decision yeah. uh, about uh, how uh, they are going to handle uh, the, the Book of Discipline and the, uh, the role of churches and clergy uh, with regard to LGBTQ folk. Right. Uh, this decision that came out of the, the uh, meeting in St. Louis and has been reaffirmed now legislatively within the Methodist right. Church, so-called the traditional plan, is creating a deep cleft um, between right. uh, really essentially two, two visions of, of the church and of the gospel. Yeah. And you've written extensively since that time about it. Um, and, and among the things that you've, you've talked about are uh, that uh, we, we really have to take a moment to step back and ask not just what happened, but why it happened the way it did, right? right? And, and, and one of the issues was related to this idea of the United Methodist being a global church. Yeah. So talk a little more about that and the, and the seriousness of uh, the tension between if you're going to be a global church, people are going to have different cultural ways of, uh, uh, of instantiating the gospel, right? Right. Well, that, that's exactly right. The, the idea of a global church uh, is going to be really definitionally a multicultural church. Yes. A church of many different cultures. Mm -hmm. and. Um, Inevitably, that means that there are cultural differences underlying almost all theological differences. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that is something that I think when United Methodism began to see itself as a global church um, was not written into our discipline in a meaningful way. Yes. Or I'll put it another way. Um, it was written into our discipline in a way that made American culture normative. I see. Or yes. maybe better yet, made the idea that there was a single American cultural normative, right. which was actually a false assumption to begin with. Right. So our current discipline, which was formed at the Union in 1968 of the, of the churches, of the Methodist predecessor churches, mm -hmm. assumes that the Book of Discipline will apply in its entirety to all of the United Methodists in the United States. Mm -hmm. All other United Methodists will be in what are called central conferences that are roughly culturally uh, homogenous. Mm -hmm. 
And those central conferences can make amendments and changes to the discipline to suit their cultural setting. Uh-huh. So you, you see this. But the American church cannot. But the American churches cannot. Yes. So the American United Methodists are divided into regional conferences called yes. jurisdictions. But those jurisdictions cannot make changes. Yes. So you, you have a sort of a... The, the double idea standard, of an, really. uh, You have a double standard, right. and you have the idea of a homogenous American culture while we recognize cultural difference outside. Fascinating. Um, okay. and, and one of the critiques of the traditional plan is that the, the votes for the traditional plan, which came out of Africa primarily, um, were made by people who can actually not follow it. Go on. Uh, that is to say, the, the delegations in Africa and the Philippines that voted on this matter of the traditional plan are not actually obliged to follow its provisions. While the... Uh, because they could amend them. Because they can amend these things. They have freedom to change that, but the American church doesn't. The American church doesn't. Fascinating. Exactly. Yes. Uh, there are limits to that freedom, to be right. sure, mm -hmm. but they are, they're definitely there. But, but I think the deeper point, that one could point at that as a justice issue. I don't think that, um, I don't think that the African delegations had any ill intent. Right. in this way. They intend to live by the provisions they pass. Sure, sure. Okay. The real, the real issue here is the underlying culture. Mm -hmm. And I think th this did not surface that I saw in any of the debates. Mm -hmm. um, I will mention that when the commission of a way forward was being formed, the United Methodist Professors of Mission uh, sent a letter to those involved in forming it. And one of the things we said was, there are missiological and cultural concerns because we have multiple cultures at play here. You should invite at least one professional missiologist, ah. one person who knows culture. Yes. And they didn't. Yes. So, um, so they did not take into account cultural difference in any of this. When many people hear culture yeah. in Christian circles, right. in the American setting, yeah they think of culture as being, by definition, a kind of threat to Christian orthodoxy. Correct. So yeah. you'll hear often from Christian pulpits that we should not be cultural Christians or that we should not <laughs> right. allow culture to dictate to the church our moral values right. or that we are being too influenced by culture and not enough by the spirit. Uh, these are very common kinds of uh, uh, challenges that the, right. the American church, especially the evangelical church in America, right. uh, is, is wrestling with. And yet it does seem to me, Robert, that the church itself is a culture, right? So, right. Uh, I mean, we, we, we are culture making as well. And so it's not just a threat from the outside, it's a threat that we fail to do a kind of analysis of our own culture uh, right. within. But, but how do you respond to those who see culture only in a kind of negative sense? Well, I, I think first of all, um, this idea that uh, Christian culture, there's a, some sort of in, indigenous Christian culture and then it's threatened from the outside. Yes. Um, I'm gonna be honest, it's nonsensical. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's right. nonsensical. Right. Um, Christianity has never existed apart from the culture in which it finds itself. Yes. It has never been different from that culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's because we are a religion of faith 
based on the belief that God came incarnate in a human being. Yes. And that human being, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. belonged to a culture, the specific culture of the Jewish people in the region of the Galilee, Judea, mm-hmm. Samaria, yes. um, where he lived. Mm-hmm. The language he spoke was the language of that culture. Mm-hmm. The, the laws of which he spoke, the people to whom he spoke, everything was of that culture. The clothes that he wore, mm-hmm. the way he was tried before Pilate, mm-hmm. the very way that he was crucified yes. was a cultural matter. Right. Okay. So we are inescapably mm-hmm. caught up in culture. At the very, at the very basic, some of this, by the way, is obvious. Look at the way you and I are dressed. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, look at what you wear on a Sunday. Look at what a pastor wears on a Sunday from right. a Methodist church. This is all part of culture. Mm-hmm. But let's go deeper than that. The language that we speak. Yes. We're speaking English. Mm-hmm. Because we are speaking English, everything that relates to the development of Anglo-Saxon culture through European culture, Christendom, up till today, including its pagan roots, yes, okay, is part of the way in which we are speaking. When we use the word God, mm-hmm. it comes from the germ, go, German Gott, Gott. Mm-hmm. okay? It does not come from the Latin Deus mm-hmm. or the Greek Theos. Yes. And the meaning of the word God, when we speak it in English, is not identical to the Latin Deus. Yes. It is not identical to the Greek Theos. Even though we don't know that. Even though we don't know it. Right. It isn't. We, we you know, the, there's this old hymn, it was good for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Well, we can't actually get back to Paul and Silas. Right. We can't think in Paul's mind. Mm-hmm. We cannot. Right. We can think about it, we can be in dialogue with Paul, we can listen to what Paul has to say. But we are, in a sense, trapped by our culture. Mm-hmm. We're less trapped by it when we recognize that. Yes. And we become conscious of it. And in the church, when we can become conscious of the fact mm-hmm. that we have this whole culture working through us, yes. then we can actually begin to critique it from within. We can critique it from But we are not going to be able to somehow replace it with a pure Christian worldview yes. um, or a pure Christian culture. Uh, right, and so I think that's actually one of the blessings for uh, a, a mis- missionary faith yes. is that we don't actually have to be uh, imperialist about a culture to carry it with us to other cultures, right? Because, right. And, and that was a great disaster historically when, when yes. we did. but given that we don't have to carry the Hebrew language with us or the Greek language with us or right. the English language with mm-hmm. us. In <clears throat> effect, we, we can, we, all of this can be transposed uh, because of this incarnational understanding of, right. of Jesus. Exactly. Well, one of the, the great missiologists, recently deceased, Laman Sané, yes. um, wrote his brilliant work on the translation of the gospel. The important thing being the translatability of the gospel. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, unlike certain religions in which revelation only exists in the language of yes. revelation, our revelation consists in a human being, Jesus Christ, right. Right. whose spirit is alive in the church. Yes. And therefore, it is always translatable. 
Yes. It's always translatable. And therefore, it, it moves into and inhabits different cultures. Um, so, for example, when I was in Malaysia uh, for seven years teaching, it was very clear to me that the, the world that my students and my fellow Christians inhabited was different than my world. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, it was absolutely alive with spiritual forces and beings yes. that are scarcely a part of an American Christian's thinking That's right. in life. Okay. Um, there's no way from within my cultural framework I could judge whether that was right or wrong mm-hmm. or true mm-hmm. or false mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yes. Okay. It was simply the way that they inhabited the world and the way in which they brought the good news of Jesus Christ to bear mm-hmm. on their own lives and what it meant to be active in that. And, and the same thing to get to the central issue from the United Methodist perspective. Yes, back to there. Yeah, the same thing is true when we as American Methodists are in conversation with or dialogue with African Methodists. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and a couple of points to be made there. Mm-hmm. First, there's no one Africa. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Yes. You know, the United States would fit easily within Africa. Mm-hmm. In fact, more than half the United States would fit within the Congo. Mm-hmm. The idea that there's an African culture is right. rubbish. It's yes. absolute rubbish. And we need to start with that. Okay. Liberians are not South Africans. They're not Congolese. Right. There's right. a Swahili speaking Eastern Africa. Yes. There's Francophone Western Africa. Mm-hmm. There are thousands, literally thousands, of different tribal groups and their own mm-hmm. ethnic cultures and ideas. So there's multiple cultures in Africa yes. to relate to. Um, if they have certain things in common, those are the, the kinds of things that mark a larger cultural realm. Right. Okay. Uh, but to speak of African culture is itself a nonsensical thing. Okay. The second thing is, and this gets us to the core of the Methodist problem, is we need to realize, we, we talked a lot in the Methodist circles about a biblical view Yes. Of marriage, a biblical view of sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think I think it's very disputable whether there is such a biblical view. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would be a matter for some exegesis and study. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is that the very concept of sexuality, of everything beyond biological sexual difference, mm-hmm. okay, is cultural. Wow. Gender is cultural, 100% cultural. Interesting. Okay. So having a, d- a discussion about sexuality from the perspective of American culture, yes. where it's one thing, where we have our, we have, you know, we use LGBTQITA, right. whatever, okay, all of those distinctions arise from within American culture. They don't arise from biological differences. Mm -hmm. They don't arise from some kind of global Mm -hmm. culture that's found everywhere in the world. Yes. They arise from within an American cultural context. They have resonances with our close cultural neighbors in Northern Europe. Yes, right. Okay. They don't resonate so well in Eastern Europe. Yes. Okay. They make even less sense in Africa, Latin America, Mm-hmm. and Asia. Right, and Native Americans as and well. And Native Americans, well, because yes. Native Americans would want to add twin-spirited. Precisely, which is right. celebrated within their tradition. Exactly. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just in, within Malaysia, yes. uh, where I, I worked for so long, um, the concepts of sexuality and gender are quite different. Mm-hmm. 
um, the and I'll give an anecdote to make make this hold clear, that anecdote. Yeah. We're going to take a break and come back. Sure. But this is fascinating. We need to continue to develop it. Let's yeah. let's take a break for a moment. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you for continuing to tune in to Good God. This program is made possible by the contributions of friends of the program. And we are delighted that they continue to support it so generously so that we don't have to ask for additional support every episode. I'm sure you're glad about that too. If you'd like to know where else you can tune in to find Good God, whether in a video format or audio, or even to get a transcript of the program, go to www goodgodproject.com. That's our website, and it's the best place to go to receive an archive of all the previous episodes and to get a new one each week if you'd like. Thanks again for your support. We're back with Robert Hunt, and Robert, you were just talking about uh, this notion of uh, how gender even and sexuality are very deeply culturally oriented and you had right. an anecdote you wanted to share with well, us. Well, yeah, a couple really. Um, in Chinese uh, society, traditional Chinese society, um, as it was in Europe for a very long time, in dramatic action uh, men played all the roles, men yeah. and women. Well, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was considered unseemly for a woman to be on stage. Uh -huh. So boys uh, or, or men who could sing in a high voice in Chinese mm -hmm. opera played all of the women's roles. Wow. Well, Malaysia, considered very, uh, considered a very conservative country, uh, the cultures there are typically patriarchal, yes. um, and therefore really not a place in which anything that appeared transgendered would be acceptable. Yes. Um, nonetheless, had a very long-running television show in which men played all the women's roles. Wow. Okay, a situation comedy, essentially. Interesting. Um, in, the, in the indigenous dialect, by the way, of the Baba Malays, which is a mixture of Malay and, and Hokkien, mm -hmm. or Malay spoken with Hokkien grammar, it's very strange. Um, similarly, there was a large fundraiser for a Methodist church in Malaysia when I was there. Um, the kind of thing where a family pays for a, a thousand people to have a stage show and stuff. Yes. And the stage show was a transvestite review. My goodness. Now, nobody who put this on imagined there was anything wrong with this. Wow. Because within that cultural realm, that's acceptable. Yes. That's the way gender plays out in its own peculiar way. Yes. Americans would find that utterly shocking. Yes. Utterly yes. shocking, unacceptable to right. New Orleans, you right. know. Right. But but there it is because culture didn't in in that culture, ideas about gender, gender roles, sexuality, mm -hmm. just play out differently. Mm -hmm. And I think this is true of every culture. Mm -hmm. um, uh, things that Americans regard as effeminate. Yes. Okay. Um, in Malaysian uh, culture, including Malay culture were regarded as simply a man who had actual refinement and manners. Interesting. Okay, mm. but certainly did not, we use the word effeminate, mm -hmm. but those characteristics that we would identify as effeminate were perfectly masculine in that culture. I see, yes. You see? Right. Okay, um, and this is typical of all over Asia. Yes. Um, if I held hands with my wife at a party, that was not on. Mm -hmm. That was inappropriate okay. sexual behavior. Interesting. Okay. But for two men to hold hands 
on the street or anywhere or for two women to hold hands, perfectly appropriate. Fascinating. And had nothing to do with sexuality. Interesting. Okay. Friendship. Friendship, of course. Yeah. And, and people did not then go immediately in their mind to, I wonder if they are gay. Not the least of it. Yes. Of course they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. okay. um, not at all. Fascinating. Where we would do that. Where we here. would do that. See? So culturally, those are our assumptions. Right. And culturally, those are theirs. That's exactly. All right. And this, and this is what makes, a, when we have an inner church discussion, a global yes. church discussion, right. there may be some agreement about a rule. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. No same-sex marriage. Yes. Okay. But the cultural basis on which that is being taken, that decision is being taken, mm -hmm. is going to be very different. Yes. Okay. And the same thing is true. The cultural basis on which the Bible is now being interpreted mm -hmm. is going to be very different. Yes. So that we may find that there are areas of agreement on a particular kind of behavior. In this mm -hmm. case, the traditionalists agree no gay marriage, mm -hmm. right? Um, or no, no same-sex marriage. African traditionalists can get on with American traditionalists on this. Yes. But I think we will discover that in other areas of sexuality and understandings of sexuality that we actually still have profound differences that are quite unresolved. For example? Well, for example, and I'll go back to Asia, then I'll go, go to mm -hmm. Africa. In Malaysia, up until this day, a clergy person who is divorced cannot remain clergy if they remarry. Yes. The Asian, the Asian Which, by the way, can be said to be biblical. Could be said to be biblical uh, and was true within American culture until the 1950s. Exactly right. Okay. And in Baptist culture until about the 1970s. 70s, yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this is based on ideas about marriage. Yes. Um, there are also ideas in Asia about um, uh, dominance in marriage, who makes decisions, yes. uh, everything. My, my wife is a Chinese-Malaysian. Yes. We've been married nearly 40 years. We'll be mm -hmm. married 40 years in about three weeks. So and will we. Really? Yes, okay. my wife and I. We yes. wake up every morning and yes. discover something new about our cultural differences <laughs> <laughs> about good. what it means to be married and raise children. Okay. Uh -huh. I think we've figured out most of them now in 40 yes. years, but there's uh -huh. still usually okay. something on the edge. Good. Now, if, if we go to Africa, right. for example, the United Methodist Discipline does clearly allow for divorce and remarriage yes. of clergy. I seriously doubt that the majority of African bishops will find that acceptable. Yes. And they don't have to, Right. by the way. They yes. don't have to. They, they, again, we have to abide by it here, but they don't have to abide by it. That's there. right. Yes. That's okay. right. Um, and that's perfectly okay, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Right. Uh, the, the whole business of marriage, uh, I think in, in the larger Christian context, the whole idea of uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage has become, was framed in biblical terms and should have been in terms of what is the appropriate witness to the gospel in this cultural context. Okay. All okay. right. And those are decisions that have to do with the cultural context. All right. Okay. So one could argue that if the American cultural context is mm -hmm. now allowing for and seeing as a matter of justice mm -hmm. that same-gender marriage should mm -hmm. be permissible and right. acceptable within our culture. Right. What you're saying is that if, uh, if the nature of Christianity always has been mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, to ask the question of 
of not what is right or wrong about marriage so much as what is the best witness to the good news in relationship to the reigning cultural paradigms, then this should not be troublesome to the church to to allow for churches to make that decision uh, to model a, a kind of healthy sexual practice within the culture about that. Right. Is that, I, is that a fair statement? Um, I would say it should be troublesome, but in a positive way. Okay, all right. That we, are, that we trouble to think about it. Yes. So I would, I would make two points. One, Colin Woodard in um, a recent book called America's Nations yes. um, has made it has pointed out, I think, very, very clearly um, that we are not a single culture, yes. that we have very distinctive cultures within the United States. Yes. So first, as a church which embraces the entire United States, just as we are global, we need to make room for cultural difference within the United States. Yes. And that does mean that for we Methodist congregations and annual conferences need some freedom to work within the culture okay. in order to decide what is the best witness in their particular cultural context. I understand. Okay. The second thing is um, the church always teeters between being a counterculture that must call into question the aspects of the culture that are unfair, mm-hmm. racism, bigotry, etc. Yes. Okay. And a, a witness to the culture in terms that the culture can understand. We have to speak a language that's comprehensible Mm -hmm. to the culture. And then finally, a recognition that we do not possess the whole of the truth, Mm -hmm. okay? The the typical doctrine, I believe, uh, is that what we know through God's revelation, Jesus Christ, is sufficient but not complete. Yes. Okay, and therefore we always stand in the place of learners. Yes. And so, over the last 200 years or 250 years, science has taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think gradually we've recognized that that learning, that knowledge that we come from science is valuable mm-hmm. and corrective. Yes. Okay. So all three of these things, the variety of cultures that we have, the fact that we must speak an intelligible witness into the culture that we have, mm-hmm. and then the fact that we must learn from elements in the culture, in this case scientific knowledge, all come into play in our decision making. Our problem is that none of those three came into play in the United United Methodist Methodist decision. decision. Um, We we were perfectly willing to ignore the science in favor of dogma. We didn't recognize our own internal cultural differences. And we have chosen now to speak instead of into the culture and what it can understand our own internal language and simply say, well, if you come inside, maybe you'll get what we're saying. Yes, okay, and so when we go back to your point that they never included a missiologist in this conversation. Right. uh, So uh, a lot of the tension though uh, that (coughs) represents, Robert, it seems to me, is something we're hearing in the broader culture right now, and that is a kind of educated versus less educated caste system where mm-hmm. there's a sort of resentment against uh, intellectual elites yeah. who want to tell ordinary people 
what they're missing and that this you should be thinking about it this way right. and so what we find is politically we have an awful lot of that happening right yeah. and and so in the church i've experienced this where uh, we can have a conversation like this and uh, try to explain why we might address the matter of whether it be permissible for same gendered persons to marry, to be ordained, right. uh, to be fully um, enfranchised in the life of the church and mm -hmm. leadership and the like, with the same parameters of responsibility as everyone else. Right. Uh, but if someone doesn't have the education or the, um, uh, the, the, the wealth of reasoning uh, that goes into being able to interpret scripture and to make decisions that way, there's a sense of, wait, I thought I could read the Bible just as you can, and when I read the Bible, you're telling right. me I don't understand what I'm talking about, and yeah. I need to just defer to the expert. Mm -hmm. So how do we deal with this question that we have a we have an American culture, Baptist very much so, where we say yeah. every person is right. responsible for himself or herself before God mm -hmm. and can read the Bible and all those sorts of things. Uh, and yet we also know that there's a reason people like you go mm -hmm. to school, you know, and yeah. that, that there's a, a history of, of learning that we want to share with the church. How do we do that in a way that is not offensive uh, and that brings us together? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think in, in a sense, I'll, I'll, I'll mention two things really. Yeah. One, to this point directly, um, we need to have an effective magisterium, to use a Catholic term. Yes. Okay. Uh, whether or not we have one officially. Okay. A teaching office. A so teaching to speak. office. Right. Because really, for us to think Christianly as yes. individuals, yes, mm -hmm. we read the Bible, we read it for ourselves, we must draw our own conclusions out of good conscience, mm -hmm. okay? Whatever our level of education. And that is our personal responsibility. But inevitably, we need to read it with the church. Yes. The, the reformers who spoke of sola scriptura and empowered the individual never had in mind that individuals would each form their own private sect. Yes. Okay. What rises, what keeps a, a, a body of Christians from being merely a sect and rises into being a church, is that they think and read with the church. This is Newbigin's concept of the church is the interpretive community of the gospel. That's exactly right. Right. This is what Newbigin is driving at. And that does require people for whom that's a full-time job. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now, Glad I'm still in business. Right. Yes. Uh, that said, um, there are two possible failures. One is when those people for whom it's a full-time job decide to divide into camps. Yes. And therefore quit speaking to each other. Well. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and I've certainly seen this myself. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing, and that's, by the way, those conversations are difficult. They need to happen. What often spoils them is the second thing, that when our church, the United Methodist Church, chose to sit down and have a serious discussion about a way forward. The people we chose were power brokers, not bridge builders. Uh, okay. And certainly not theologians. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they weren't theologically educated to a person. Mm -hmm. But they were people who had long since made their expertise in, in brokering power 
within the church. I see. Rather than in carrying on theological conversations that are quite difficult. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the problems. In in their own way, that group would come to know each other better, to respect each other, to love each other. But I really don't believe that they they walked into that conversation with the tools mm -hmm. that would lead to a good outcome. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's another problem too, though, for us that are theologians, which is that we have our conversation, but we have it within, within our circle. That's right. We don't talk to anybody else, or we insist on speaking a language that absolutely nobody speaks. Yes, right, right. You know, right. Um, and that, uh, and we feel content with that because we understand it. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Well, in a, for a global church, mm -hmm. the big problem is we speak a particularly American or Euro-American yes. language within ourselves, and we're not particularly listening to voices, theological voices, that come from outside of our cultural experience and realm. And that's really hard, because the people we want to invite are, one, the people who speak our own language. So we American United Methodists are going to sp largely speak English. Mm -hmm. We will make a nod in official church things to having a translator for people who are Francophone or Spanish-speaking right, right. or Lusophone. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that language barrier is the starting point. The second point is that virtually everybody that we invite to have a conversation with us was educated in an American seminary. Oh, sure, yeah, right. Okay. Or by Americans somewhere else. Or by Americans but, somewhere right. else, but largely in American seminaries. Yes, we have right. almost no PhD here. programs right. outside the U.S. Okay, we have, we have so much more to talk yeah. about. We're gonna have another episode, so let's pick this up again in our okay. next conversation because it's just too sure. fascinating. So thank you for being with us in this episode of Good God, Robert. Thank you very much, okay. happy to be here. Good. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.